Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Sarah Whitmire, hosting today with Indiana News Desk anchor, Joe Wren. We're talking with our guests today about the local COVID-19 response. Monroe County remains in blue. What does that mean for the COVID response? You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition or send us questions using the email news at indianapublicmedia.org. We're still doing the show remotely, so you can't call in. We've got three guests joining us today. Penny Cottle is the Monroe County Health Administrator. Dr. Tom Hersmalis is the IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians Provider specializing in infectious disease. And finally, we have Shandy Durf, the Director of Undergraduate Epidemiology Education at the Fairbanks School of Public Health at IUPUI. I want to begin today's conversation, just welcome to everyone, but Penny, if you can get us started, the governor this week extended some parts of his health order through the end of this month. So what does that do, particularly here, here locally? Certainly, and thanks, thanks for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. The order, for the most part, really for the health department, extends our ability to use those Uh, hundreds of volunteers that uh, we have found over the last year for this pandemic, especially for the vaccination clinics. So it allows, for instance, retired nurses who may have um, let their license lapse, uh, those kinds of things, some EMTs with special training to be able to vaccinate. So it allows us to continue to use those individuals and increase our capacity to provide vaccinations. Okay. Um, Just to follow up to that, maybe Shandy, you can chime in, but what is the strategy behind remaining in um, a, a, a health emergency when most COVID restrictions have been lifted? Well, as Penny just alluded to, um, keeping that order in place actually keeps open some accounts from a federal level. So since our state is still in that emergency order area, we qualify for additional Medicaid funds. We qualify for additional federal funds, which is being filtered to the state and then to the locals for some of the staffing, the vaccination clinics, that sort of thing. And so even though right now we're in a lull with the cases, the numbers are down, what we're really worried about is the Delta variant, which you talked about earlier. And the fact that our vaccination rates are still pretty low, we're about the lowest in the Midwest. And so the work isn't done. We're just kind of enjoying a nice little break right now, but the fear is that the numbers will increase. And so we need to keep that work going. That's why there's a need uh, for that continued emergency order going forward. Okay, but just to clarify, this doesn't mean anything in terms of restrictions on, on people like we have had. Correct. Um, And then also the school mandate for inside the building, the masks, that's going away as well. Um, But with the governor having that state order in place, that means that if local health departments did need to do some additional steps, they have that since the state already has that emergency order in place. So there are some like political legislative things in play here with that being still in place. Okay. You mentioned the the Delta variant, which we're going to talk about a lot later. But first, I want to go to Dr. Hizmalis. You've joined us a lot and certainly appreciate that. I'm hoping you can just give us an idea of where we are right now from, from this time a year ago. Well, boy, things have changed an awful lot in, a, in the past year. I mean, a year ago, we were in the midst of uh, dealing with a epidemic that we didn't really understand very well. We didn't have uh, therapeutic options. We didn't have antiviral drugs or monoclonal antibodies or immunization. 
So this is certainly a different environment than we were in before. Um, each step along the way, of course, has had new challenges for us. Um, and uh, it's it is interesting to, to compare uh, simple things like, you know, mortality in the hospital, uh, April and May of uh, last year versus this year, we've gotten better in managing uh, sick people with COVID uh, in many ways. Um, we're, we're, all in, we're all thrilled that our cases are down, but we have a little trepidation because of the relatively low vaccination rates so far. Mm. This is Joe Wren. Thanks for letting me fill in today for Bob. Um, you know, I wanted to maybe, Penny, if you can jump in. I think I heard Sarah say in the before the show, the vaccination rate, about 55% in Monroe County. What what are the expectations? Because a few months ago, it seemed like the, the goal was to hit 70, 75%. Many mayors across uh, that we've talked to here in Indiana were really shooting for that. Are, is that still the goal or what, what are the expectations? Yeah, you know, we don't really talk, uh, no, uh, have, excuse me, we don't really have an exact percentage on, you know, what's going to be the perfect thing that's going to give us that herd immunity that people talked about. In the end, we want a vaccination rate as high as we can get it. And if we could get it to, you know, upper 90%, I would be a, a very happy camper. Uh, but I'm just... What I'm pleased about is that we continue to make incremental improvements. Um, almost every day we see a little bit of improvement. I had hoped that we would hit that 60% mark of fully vaccinated uh, individuals who are eligible by this, this weekend. We're not going to do that. I think today we were at 55.4% uh, of our eligible population is fully vaccinated. But again, we continue to make those improvements. And I thank those individuals who have went ahead and been vaccinated because they're eligible. And I would encourage those who are still maybe seeking more information. Um, anyone who's, who's kind of said, I just wanna wait and see, we have evidence that the vaccine works. So now's the time to go ahead and, and get that vaccination. Because as we move forward, um, mass vaccination sites are starting to um, discontinue and vaccine is going to become more in that routine place. So your provider's office, uh, we will continue to do outreach clinics, uh, but those mass sites are go going away uh, in the near future. So take advantage of the ease of getting the vaccine now. I got a question in uh, someone asking, where are most vaccinations happening right now? They're down statewide. I mean, since they peaked at the beginning when vaccines were first rolled out. Yeah, well, and and I'm not sure. If, I guess they mean where in terms of what age group, perhaps. Probably. Certainly we know that the people with the highest vaccination rate right now is in our older population, but they've also been eligible longer. We're lagging behind probably more in that 20 and under, 24 and under. Um, but again, it, it varies a little bit. Some of it is difficult to really pinpoint. Uh, when you look at our student population, are they vaccinated here somewhere else? Uh, that kind of thing can affect those numbers. But we know that we, again, continue to do uh, a lot of vaccination, make it available where people are. We have went from, you know, the beginning of the year when the people who really wanted that the vaccine, they were just anxious to get it. And most of those individuals have. And so now it's finding out ways that we can reach the populations that for whatever reason have not yet been vaccinated, even though they're eligible. So we continue to do homebound programs. So if individuals are homebound, they cannot get out to a vaccination site, then they can call 211 and they will um, get them on a list and we will still go out and get them vaccinated. Uh, we continue to do outreach clinics. Um, we were at Mother Hubbard's 
covered yesterday doing vaccinations. Um, every week we have some sort of outreach going on. The Indiana Department of Health has the mobile unit at the fair. They were there yesterday, they're there today. Um, we know that there are unvaccinated people, at least 45% of our eligible population are unvaccinated. They are shopping, they're going out to dinner, they're going to events, places like the fair. Um, and we just want to provide the opportunity where they are. So we're at a point of trying to provide vaccination and meet that individual wherever it is that they are. Yeah, I know a lot, a lot of counties are, are doing that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hirsch I've heard, talked to some folks who've said they've, they've already had COVID, so they're not going to get the vaccine because they have immunity. Can you talk about that a little bit and particularly how long that kind of immunity might last? Yeah, that's the, that's the, certainly the question. Um, we recommend people who have had COVID still get vaccinated. And the reason for that is that many people who have had particularly mild episodes of COVID don't seem to have quite as long lasting immunity as you might expect. And I can tell you that we have uh, seen and documented uh, many cases where people have had COVID more than once. Some people who had COVID early on in uh, March and April and May of last year, and then got it again in November and December. And many of those people had relatively mild illness. So we really don't know how long in everybody the immunity from having COVID lasts. What we do know though, is that the vaccine boosts that immunity remarkably well. And so uh, it's a strong recommendation that even if you've had COVID, you should still get vaccinated to provide you good and long lasting immunity. Shandy, I wanted to uh, jump in here too really quick and just ask about some of those counties that are still in that yellow area or the it's the level, the, the state level, um, Newton, Benton, Montgomery, Howard and Switzerland. Yes. So in a lot of the rural areas, we see lower vaccination rates. And so that could really be lending a hand towards a greater transmission. So that's where we really need to make that um, concerted effort in getting the word out that people still need to get vaccinated. Um, Kaiser put out a report this week. Every few months, they've been putting out a report on vaccine acceptance around the country. And what we're seeing now is that most people in the U.S. are pretty optimistic about the way things are headed. And about half of those people unvaccinated are reporting that since the numbers are so low, they just don't see the need to get more people vaccinated. They think COVID is basically over. They're not at risk. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. So we still need to get people vaccinated, especially with the new variants that can be circulating here soon. A follow up from that, Shandy, and and maybe the other panels can weigh in as well. But around this time last year, we saw cases begin to creep up gradually and then reach really high levels in late fall and winter. What's to keep that from happening again? Is that a real risk where people aren't vaccinated? Yeah. Yes, that's a great point. And so we kind of expect it, you know, a, a drop in the summer. Again, we've got vaccinations this summer, which is great. So I'm sure that's helping. But as schools come back into session, people start going back into the office more and more. We're going to have more transmission with the lower vaccination rates that we have. And remember, we still don't have vaccines available for kids under 12. That probably won't be available until later this fall. And so there's going to be a greater chance now that schools are many of the schools. I think all of the schools I've heard of so far plan to go back in person five days a week. And that's going to be a large number of kids altogether. And as we've seen with lots of other diseases around the beginning of the school year, we always see an increase in things like norovirus, which causes a lot of um, vomiting and diarrhea. That often bumps up when you bring all of the kids together at the beginning of the school year. We expect to see a bump up too at the beginning of the school year for COVID as well. Same thing for the colleges and universities, especially those that are not mandating the vaccine we expect to see a bump up among those populations. And if I you want to add, add oh. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to see if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, please go uh, ahead. The, the other thing that I was going to say, even in, when we look at the maps and there's so much information out there and I encourage people to look at it, but to keep, you know, pieces of information in mind, we're in blue, which is 
you know, that that's good. That, that was a goal. But we still have virus circulating. We're still hanging out at that 28 per 100,000, um, you know, each week. And that's not coming down. And, you know, today I think we added like 12 new cases. So while things are not getting worse right now, we're not seeing a continuous trend downward. And so we know that virus is circulating and more people are not distancing or masking even when they're unvaccinated. Um, I think that there were a lot of people that kind of heard the message, if you're fully vaccinated, you can remove your mask in most, in most situations and took that to mean that everybody can remove their mask. So that recommendation to wear a mask and, and distance when you're unvaccinated, that's still there. And we need people to follow those precautions if they're not vaccinated. So then should, should kids, all of the kids be wearing masks right now? If they are in, if they're in public and they're indoors, um, you know, without, with other people who may not be vaccinated, that would, would be the best thing for them. Okay. Okay. You know, I will say there, Illinois just uh, had, there was a press release, Illinois youth camp that just had an outbreak of 85 or more people um, at the camp, uh, mostly youth um, that were affected. A couple of those uh, small number had also went to a conference that was nearby that added 11 additional cases. Um, they were not checking vaccination records. They were not masked when they were indoors and they had this outbreak and, and you know, it could have been averted uh, with some extra precautions or vaccinations. Penny, are you working with MCCSC to determine what their policy is going to be for masks for students in the fall? Well, we certainly, we have worked with all the schools, you know, for the past year and a half, extremely closely. Now, as of July 1, it's up to the school board to decide how they want to proceed and what restrictions they want to put in place. But we certainly do continue to communicate with all the schools and offer as much advice and recommend as many recommendations as we can. Today, you're listening to Noon Edition, and we're talking with three guests about the latest on COVID-19 spread in Indiana and Monroe County. We're still doing the show remotely, so you can't call in, but you can send us a question to news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can tweet us at Noon Edition. So, Shandy, I want to ask you about what do you think, we were talking about the low vaccination rate statewide and Monroe counties is a little better, but can you point to any strategies that have been successful um, in other places that have encouraged uh, people to really get vaccinated? Sure. So going back to that Kaiser report I mentioned earlier, they asked people, you know, what incentivized you to get vaccinated. And what they see is that if you have one person in the household vaccinated, you're a lot more likely to have all of the adults in the household vaccinated. So there's definitely um, the fact that people trust their family members, their friends to kind of lead them in the direction they're going. And then also what we see is people who just understood that COVID was a serious disease are more likely to go ahead and get vaccinated. Um, unfortunately, we're still hearing a lot of the hesitancy around things such as, I just don't trust it enough yet, or I want to wait and see. But as Penny said earlier, we've got so many doses out there now. This is, these are definitely safe vaccines. And so we really need to push more of the education from the physicians. People trust their physicians. They trust their faith leaders. And so that's where we need to work at more out in the community, more with employers. People are a lot more likely to get vaccinated if their employers recommend it if their employers give people time off to go get the vaccine and also time off in case you have any of those effects that we sometimes hear about, you know, being tired or a few of the effects that people have reported. So it's really up to the employers too to help make sure that their employees are safe and protected going forward. So there are some lessons learned that we can build on. We just need to use more of those here in Indiana. Wanted to get into just a little bit about testing, um, just because that was, you know, obviously all of last year 
was the number one thing of just being able to go get tested, uh, mass uh, testing sites and so forth. And now a lot of those are, are going away because the vaccine is here. But what role now does, does testing have uh, in Indiana? So testing is still vital because obviously we don't know if it's here if we're not testing it. And as we've seen with COVID, a lot of people can have COVID and not show any symptoms. And so you only know you're positive if you're tested. So we still need testing in place. Also, a certain percentage of those tests that are taken are the ones that then go through additional testing to figure out what variants we have here. So again, it's a critical piece of the data for us to figure out uh, what the transmission is looking like, who it's affecting, how effective vaccines are and what variants are in place. So we've got to keep it up. Unfortunately, now we don't need as many of the mass testing or testing sites because we also have it available in so many physician offices, uh, pharmacies, that sort of thing. So it's readily available now and the testing results come back much faster than they were last year. Yeah, and Penny, maybe you want to jump into uh, what areas or, or how can people get tested in Monroe County? Certainly. So we do have uh, a lot of opportunities. The state did close the Optum sites that were set up um, last June. Those closed at the end of June. Um, And again, when we look back to last year, they were seeing hundreds of people a day. And by the time they closed, they, they were struggling to see, you know, over 50 a day. So we definitely, with vaccine, we know that there has been less demand for those mass sites. We do also have the community testing site on 640 South Morton Street. And we have decided we've, we're keeping that open through July. Um, that was a partnership with uh, the county, uh, the city, IU Health, and Indiana University, along with a grant from the Department, Indiana Department of Health. And the grant went through June. So we have extended that for another month to make sure that we can let people know that the site's here for a little longer, but you're going to have to kind of look at what's available. But there are a variety of providers that things are moving to providers offices, the pharmacy type clinics, uh, testing, there's even home tests. Um, So the best place to see what testing sites are available is really on the state's um, testing on the dashboard that you can go to get testing and it will have a map all across Indiana of all the various sites. We have put together a document, but I have to say it's as good as the day that we called and got the information because Uh, opportunities can change, types of testing can change, the fees can change. So I would encourage anybody um, to call, get the information so that you know if there's a fee or not, if you're eligible, if you are symptomatic, how do they want you to proceed so that you're not potentially exposing another room full of people as that becomes maybe more operational in terms of doctor's offices. Dr. Hirsch-Wallace, is there anything you would like to add about the the role of testing, even though most of the state is in that blue level? Um, Just that it is, it remains critical. I mean, we have people presenting with respiratory infections, and if we don't test them and know what they have, we don't know how to treat them or how to prevent the spread. Um, So it's critical. It needs to be easily available and rapid. And uh, fortunately, we're we're at a low, we're at a time when testing is readily available and it's much much uh, better faster than it was in the past. Um, I would like to just make one other quick comment about um, the um, vaccine issue that you were just speaking to a moment ago, and that is that despite all the education that's out there, it remains true that most people do not understand there's still a lot of misunderstanding of the severity of this illness. And there's still a lot of misunderstanding about the side effects of the vaccine. And so we just need to continue a lot of education. I still have patients coming in saying, you know, well, it's just like the, it's just like a cold. It's just like the flu. And, you know, it's just not it. There have been many, many studies now showing that as compared to the flu, people, 
you know, end up in intensive care units twice as often, end up in on ventilators three times as often, end up dying five times and more and more often. Uh, and even people who don't have severe illness, even young, healthy individuals, many of them, high significant percentages of them have persistent symptoms, fatigue, shortness of breath, decreased exercise tolerance, sometimes for months. So it is a disease that is worth preventing. It's not just a minor illness. Um, and I wish we could get that message through to people because boy, I hear that all the time. I'm, I'm frankly really surprised as I guess being in a newsroom, I feel like we talk about it all the time. So yeah. Yeah. we're in a bubble, I suppose. Um, Dr. Hasmalis, I'm curious. So when we're talking about vaccine compliancy locally, it's more young people have gotten vaccinated. Should we be worried about that since they weren't the ones getting sick as often to begin with? It's obviously probably most critical in terms of mortality, morbidity to vaccinate the elderly people. And we've had a good good vaccine rate in the elderly population. What I see in terms of vaccine hesitancy is there is just a lot of misunderstanding of the side effects. You know, when I talk to people and I say, yes, you can have injection pain, fever, fatigue, headache for a day or two, but that's, you know, it's self-limiting and it's minor. Um, They all, they frequently will bring up, oh, but the vaccines have caused multiple deaths, that there have been chips implanted, that it can cause sterility, that it's a bioterrorist plot, that there's, you know, conspiracies, that the process was rushed, uh, that they cut corners, that, that, you know, and so forth. And that level of misinformation, all those things are not true, but they still persist. And I think, you know, social media and the internet in many ways has misled people uh, in that way. These vaccines are remarkably safe, uh, modern, specific, tailored, um, amazingly effective. Uh, you know, when I look at vaccines and I look at vaccines that we've given over the past decades, I think these are just spectacularly good. And yet it's hard sometimes to convince people. That's why I'm a little bit encouraged as we move some of the vaccine administration out also to individual doctor's offices and so forth, that gives us the opportunity to talk one-on-one to people and dissuade them of some of these um, misconceptions. And if we have the vaccine immediately available, maybe we have a better chance of getting them vaccinated in that setting. Yeah, Um, I'm curious, you mentioned this idea that it got rushed through the process. And that's something I've heard too, people saying that it got this emergency approval, but it hasn't been through the full approval. And maybe when that happens, they'll get vaccinated. Yeah. What is next in that? Um, well, what is the, happening in terms all of- the, all, the, all the vaccines in the United States, the two messenger RNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, as well as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they've all uh, applied for uh, FDA approval, full FDA approval. They already have FDA approval for uh, the administration, the emergency use, and they've all applied and they will, they'll all get uh, approved for that. But that doesn't, that does not mean that they're experimental or that they weren't vetted properly. They went through all the proper testing. They went by the book. Um, the process was uh, faster than normal because they did a lot of things concurrently, um, which was a high risk thing to do. In other words, you know, they started manufacturing the vaccines before they knew they were effective to save time with the idea that if they show, were shown not to be effective, that all that would have been wasted and they would have thrown that all away. So fortunately they, they made a good judgment and that did save time, but that's not cutting corners. They did all the proper testing and these vaccines um, are spectacularly good. We got a question about vaccines for you, Dr. Smallis. Why do COVID vaccines bring side effects, but others, including the flu, don't? There, these are different types of uh, immunizations. And 
one of the problems with the flu vaccine, as you might, you know, be aware, is the immunity that that the flu vaccine generates is relatively short-lived. Um, it's 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 a fairly mild vaccine. It doesn't stimulate good long-lasting immunity, and so these vaccines are different in that they do stimulate good antibody responses, what we call good cellular immune responses. And as a consequence, you do have a little bit more in the way of side effects. Um, uh, these vaccines are really not too dissimilar in side effects as compared to maybe some of the newer shingles vaccines and things of that sort. Um, but I think they cause a little bit more local minor side effects because they are more potent. And our hope is then because of that, they will give a little bit longer lasting immunity rather than a flu vaccine that may uh, you know, wane and lose its effectiveness after a few months. We're hoping that these last lots longer. I'll let anyone who wants to jump in, maybe Shandy here. I, I kind of wanted to know more about the, these different variants uh, we keep hearing, as, especially present in Indiana. I know the, the Delta and there's uh, the Beta. And what what makes them a variant? What's different about them? And why does the vaccine still seem, at least from what I've heard, work against these variants? So the Delta is the one of most concern. So I'll concentrate on that one. And what we're seeing is that might be up to 40% more contagious. And COVID has been very contagious to start with in the very beginning. Uh, But what we're seeing with Delta is that people are more likely to experience coughing and sneezing, and therefore they're just more likely to spread it. So we don't see as many of those asymptomatic cases. And so what we're concerned about is, is that also going to translate into more hospitalizations, a higher mortality rate? We don't have enough of that yet here to say yes or no yet. But the concern, again, is that it's going to spread that much faster, and we still have that many uh, people unvaccinated. So that's where we're really concerned about pockets around the U.S. where we've got the really low vaccination rate. We think Delta is going to be the one that causes these big surges. We don't think we're going to see a surge on the healthcare system the way we saw last year when COVID first started. But we're definitely concerned about some of these areas with the low vaccination rate. And maybe can anyone follow up just just on why the or how the vaccine is, is still able to work against these variants? So I can just say a few words just to to clarify. So the variants simply represent viruses that have mutated and that's not unusual, that's not unexpected. That's what the the flu virus does every year. Some variants, we, we call them variants of concern because they have potential for increased risk of transmission or increased severity, or we worry that maybe the vaccine won't be as effective against them or the monoclonal antibody treatments may not be as effective against them. Um, We've been fortunate in that the variants that have emerged so far, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, and so forth, that those uh, variants, although some of them more transmissible and some of them less susceptible to treatment with the monoclonal antibodies, the, the immunity, the antibodies generated by the vaccines still seem to bind to them and inhibit their growth with near full effectiveness. I think the Pfizer vaccine was uh, is you know about 95% effective against the wild original strain of COVID and some recent studies suggested it was about 88% effective against the Delta variant. So we're fortunate that those vaccines remain effective. And each time a new variant emerges, that's one of the first things that uh, is being evaluated. Have we seen? But again, the I would just like to add that. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no, no, no. Go ahead, Shandy. I just wanted to add that's another reason for us to really push vaccinations now, because the longer the circulates, the more transmission is out there, the greater opportunity the virus has to to have these variants, and we could potentially encounter a variant where the vaccine is not effective against it. Right now, we've got this, I keep calling it a gift, that we've got such great vaccines, so we really need to use those to our benefit. Penny, I was going to ask, do we have, has the Delta variant been here in Monroe County? Has, hasn't it? Well, certainly Indiana has seen a Delta variant. Um, all The uh, Alpha is what has been most uh, prominent, but again, every, as Shandy talked about, uh, 
not every specimen that or test is tested for a variant. So it's kind of a surveillance program. You don't need to know, you just need to know that they're there. Uh, so you don't need to know ex how many, it, you know, if we have one or we have 10 or we have a hundred, we know that it's here and it's circulating and can be passed. And again, the, the vaccines are working. And if you, you know, if you get infected, um, you and you have some natural immunity from that may not protect you from these other variants. Dr. Hismalis, I know a lot of folks are starting to travel now and take summer vacations, but what should the prevalence of these variants mean for travel restrictions? Yeah, you know, everyone is struggling with, you know, what is the significance and what does it mean? Um, the Delta variant certainly appears to be more transmissible. Fortunately, it's probably not more serious potentially than the other, the others are. Um, uh, in terms of, in terms of um, preventing spread, or in terms of a traveler avoiding becoming ill, you know, and maybe I'm looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective, having taken care of patients over the past year and longer, um, you still need to be careful. Um, there's still a large percentage of the population that's not vaccinated. Transmission in the community is still occurring. And particularly if you're elderly or immune impaired, um, you need to be careful. Uh, I would, I feel that even if you've been vaccinated, if you are uh, very elderly or immune impaired, you should still consider wearing a mask in, in public areas and things of that sort, because uh, we just don't know exactly how well you are protected. Um, there are some studies in people who are severely immune impaired, like organ transplant patients and things like that, that a, a significant percent of them don't get a response to these vaccines. And so they have to sort of act as if they've been not, uh, act as if they've not yet been vaccinated. Sandy, what kind of- well, I'll tell you what I was going to ask, and then maybe you can finish what you're going to say. I was just wondering, what kind of signs will we see that this COVID, uh, this Delta variant, for example, has really taken a hold and is starting to see another wave of COVID? I think we'll see that with the surveillance testing as we look at what variants are in the area. So I expect those numbers will just continue to go up and up each week. Um, but also we'll start to see increased um numbers, increased hospitaliz hospitalizations possibly. Um, but I just want to point out too, again, um, as the physician said, we are not out of the woods with this. We still have a few deaths each week, even right now here in Indiana from COVID. And so even though the numbers are low, and even though we've got much better treatment now than we did a year ago for this, it's not guaranteed that if you go into the hospital with COVID that you're going to be able to come back out. And so it's really important, again, to take those precautions, especially if you've got um, an immunocompromised person in your household, if you're not able to get vaccinated, very few people, um, for whatever reason, are not able to get vaccinated, they've got to take those extra precautions. And again, that's another reason for the rest of us to get vaccinated so we can help protect those people who really cannot be vaccinated for medical reasons. Do you think there are legitimate concerns, though, about a, what we would call a fourth wave of this? I, I do really think we're going to see an increase here in the fall um, because our vaccination rates are lower. Again, I don't think any of us expect it to be the surge that we saw, you know, last year. But we do think it's going to create, you know, some headaches for us again. And again, uh, we'll have more deaths from that eventually as the numbers go up. It's just a proportionate thing. So even though the transmission is low right now, we're still getting deaths here in Indiana. So I just want to emphasize that, that we are not out of the clear yet with this. We're not in the clear yet with this. Yeah, and okay. if I can can add on to that, you know, even, you know, Monroe County's vaccination rates aren't where we want them. They're low, but they are higher than some of our surrounding counties. But we, we've talked about this all year. We are not an island. And uh, so even if we reach and we want to reach, you know, 70, 80% vaccination or higher if we could do that. We need all counties, all states to have high vaccination rates because 
people travel. They work in different counties. They visit people in different counties, different states. Uh, we are very transient, you know, community at large, and we need to have high levels of vaccination rates for for everybody so that we don't see those uh, surges. And that's that's the key. I, I really believe that it's vaccination, and it's if you are not vaccinated, you're not eligible yet remember that you need to take those precautions. And the other thing that I just want to mention when we talk about sort of the prevention is for our businesses. There are a lot of businesses who are still requiring or asking masks to be worn in their business. And I've heard some people say, well, I'm vaccinated. I'm not going to do that. But keep in mind, they, they are protecting all of their patrons. They are trying to protect their staff and their employees. And you don't know who on their staff may have a condition that even if they're vaccinated, they may not get the full benefit of that because their immune system is compromised or that they have someone at home who has a compromised immune system or they're too young to be vaccinated, you know, in, and they frequent that location. So, there are many reasons that businesses are still requesting people to wear face coverings when they're there. And please be respectful of that. I, you know, think about the community. I think last year we were talking about we, not me, you know, that having a focus on our community as a whole, as opposed to us as individuals. How much of an influence do we have on surround, do surrounding counties have on our local numbers and vice versa? I mean, how much influence do we have on theirs? Well, I, you know, that's a hard one to, to answer with specifics, but certainly when you look at our hospital, uh, when you look at IU Health, that is a hub and a regional uh, site. And, you know, Dr. Ismalis may be able to address this better than I can, but, you know, they, they help one another if if one facility is, um, you know, getting, I'm going to say, you know, slammed. If they're, they're full, then they may need to transfer people um, based on what people need. They may move them around. But we know that people live in Monroe County. They work in Indianapolis. People live in Greene County or Owen County, and they work in Monroe County or vice versa. So we interchange, people shop here, people want to come to Monroe County to do things. We have lots of opportunities to do things. So definitely that increases the potential for spread um, for, but it also is an opportunity for vaccination. And that's why we have Assembly Hall and IU was a you know, great partner in saying, hey, we're willing to be sort of this regional vaccine site. And so I would encourage people to take advantage of that opportunity while it's there. And, you know, it's a great site to get to see Assembly Hall and you get to get your vaccine at the same time. Yeah, let me um, add on. Thank you, Penny. For, but from the hospital standpoint, exactly. We have a regional healthcare system. We are transferring patients from Paoli and Bedford and Bloomington and Morgan and Greene County and all of that. Uh, meant a lot of that will may well funnel through Monroe County. Um, uh, so although our hospital rate statewide is way down, I mean, gosh, I think there are about 400 people in the hospital statewide as compared to 3,400 maybe back at the end of November and December, which is a big improvement. We still have many patients in Bloomington Hospital. We have people in the intensive care unit. And I can tell you from personal experience, I don't have any objective numbers I can quote you, but I, from personal experience, I can tell you we're probably admitting 15 to 20 unvaccinated patients for every vaccinated patient we admit to the hospital with COVID. So it emphasizes how critically important it is to get uh, vaccinated. And when you're sick enough to be in the hospital with COVID, it is, it's a serious illness. It roughly has about the same mortality as if you got admitted to the hospital with a heart attack. So not a joke. Mm, wow. Um, we did have a question come in. 
maybe doctor, if you want to start with this, uh, it's about booster shots. Should we make sure we get the same vaccine that we got the first time? I wonder, though, the preceding question would be, what do we know about having to get booster shots? Yeah, so that's obviously currently being studied in depth. Uh, So we're monitoring people who have been vaccinated to see what their antibody levels do, to see how frequently or when they might start becoming susceptible to infection again. We're looking particularly at the immune impaired individuals who maybe not respond, who maybe don't respond very well to the vaccine to begin with. There is evidence that booster shots in some populations may well be beneficial. And so I think we're all sort of waiting for that answer. The companies that have made these vaccines have been studying specific boosters for the variants and have also been studying just getting additional booster doses. They've been studying how to mix and match. If you got Johnson and Johnson, what happens if you get Pfizer? If you got Pfizer, what happens if you get Moderna? So all of that is being studied right now. And I think there'll be more clarity as time goes on here in the next few months. And then we have another question. Uh, what is burnout like for healthcare workers and people following the pandemic uh, right now? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Sure. <laughs> you probably should ask Penny that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say thank goodness for um, sort of this, the vaccine being available and, and things um, sort of being in this, I, I don't want to better, you know, that we're, we're seeing improvement. Um, every stage of this has been different, but certainly um, I think for the health department, we're finally sort of getting that break, if you will, where um, we can refocus and we're putting efforts in, as I mentioned, the continued outreach clinics and uh, as Shandy mentioned with additional kind of funding that's come to be able to have staff that are really focused on reaching those populations that maybe have been missed and still have questions. But burnout, um, it, it's been a rough year and a half, but the break if you will, that that we're seeing this little bit of a reprieve that I hope means that we truly can contain this and not have a surge. I I agree with Shandy. I don't think we'll we'll be back to where we were necessarily last last winter, but we don't want to see any surge at all. And um, we're we're coming through. We're trying to get some breaks now so that we can renew our our spirits. Penny, I know normally you would have to be hopping off of this call and then you would join that city, county, IU Health, IU press conference. I will be doing that. Right. But I know, I think it was last week, you all talked about how you're going to start scaling those back. What made you feel comfortable or confident that now was the time to do that? Sure. Well, part of it, it, you know, it's kind of a collective, I think one, having less new information to share kind of we're sharing the the same thing and information that's readily available to you. Um, and that's really the the big piece. What new information, how how much has has changed? And so we felt that in July we could go every two weeks and we'll reassess. Um, you know, in August, maybe we'll continue every two weeks, maybe to be once a month, or maybe we'll feel the need to go back to every week. Who knows? Uh, so we'll continue to assess that as we go forward uh, and see what our community conditions are and what what information we have saved those spots. So all of those community partners have kind of saved that Friday afternoon spot. So if something does come up that we need to have that press conference quickly, we can do that. Okay. Shandy, I'd like to ask you, like, what has COVID and the pandemic shown us about what resources we need available for emergency health response? I mean, we went into this with a lot of plans in our pocket. Uh, For years, health departments have planned for a pandemic flu. And a lot of things that we thought would happen didn't. Um, You know, it was great that we had some of that planning in our back pocket. But unfortunately, there are lots of lessons learned from this. 
And so I think we're at the point now that it is a little bit calmer here. I'm starting to hear of after action reports from a lot of the local health departments around the state. I do think we're going to take a lot of that information and use that for planning purposes going forward. Again, it's really highlighted how public health uh, is not well funded here in the state. We really need to invest in that in the long term because we were not able to ramp up as quickly as we needed to here in Indiana because we've neglected it for so long. Uh, you mentioned burnout a second ago. CDC just put out an MMWR report this week talking about burnout. And unfortunately, I've seen it. I work with a lot of the local health officers around the state. We've seen a large turnover in staff at public health departments in Indiana and other states around the U.S. It's been a really rough year. Public health officials have taken a lot of attacks, a lot of threats. And they've worked, I'm not exaggerating, 60, 70 hours a week for many, many weeks, many, many months over this. And so I think we need to take that as a lessons learned that we need to bump up our public health infrastructure. And we need to recognize that investing in public health now will save us money in the future. It will save lives in the future. And so I'm hoping the silver lining of all of this will be that um, we'll take those lessons learned and we're going to build that up and protect ourselves better in the future. I will After, add one I'll thing. go ahead, Penny. Sarah, I know that we're, we're coming on time, but we are in the middle. We're still doing our community health assessment and kind of looking pre at preliminary data and what those top um, 10 kind of, you know, things that people are concerned about. Public health funding is in the top six, and I've never seen it there before. So it certainly has um, come to the forefront of many people's minds. Dr. Kismalis, I wanna give you the last word in about 30 seconds. What, what advice do you give to our listeners and what would you tell them about COVID in, in Indiana moving forward? Absolutely, so um, uh, related to your previous comment, um, you know, the, the efforts on part of IU Health and the local health community and public health has been just amazing to me. A lot of dedicated people working very hard and we all are very sensitive and IU Health is very sensitive about burnout and, and paying close attention to that among people. What we need is we need everyone to not be fatigued with this, to continue to focus. Let's all get vaccinated. Let's protect ourselves and protect the people around us and we can move on with a more normal world. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there. Thank you all so much for joining us today. This has been Noon Edition. That's all the time we have. Thank you to our guests, for co-host Joe Wren, our producers Ben Boutier and Mark Chilla. I'm Sarah Whitmire, and this has been Noon Edition. Thank you. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.